You're listening to the Eastside Church Sermon Podcast Series. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, inclusive, and justice-oriented. We are thrilled that you found our podcast, and if you'd like to learn more about our community, visit our website at eastsideatl.org. Would you stand as you're able for our gospel reading? From Matthew's gospel in the third chapter. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said the voice of one crying out in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the expression, mind the gap. It was coined in the UK in the late 60s, where it appeared as an automated announcement reminding passengers on the tube or the train that there might be a significant space between the train's door and the station platform. The voice on the PA system issues its warning, pay attention, exercise care, mind the gap. And just to be sure, the words mind the gap are printed on the platform in large letters because failure to take notice can have serious consequences. Well, as I was thinking about our lesson for this second Sunday in Advent, 
it occurred to me that Advent itself is a gap-like season. Our Christian calendar doesn't just catapult us from Christ the King Sunday, the last event in the Jesus story, to Christmas, where the story starts all over again. Instead, we have this kind of four-Sunday interlude, this gap that requires our attention so that we can exit the train with our feet firmly planted and securely ready when we arrive in Bethlehem and it's time for the birth. Now, we all know that the world around us does not keep time by the Christian calendar. It's Thanksgiving, then it's Christmas. No gap. And there's no reason for us to expect the world to conform to our particular way of keeping time. The truth is, we're much more likely to adapt to what surrounds us. Decorations up, carols on the radio, parties, shopping, a healthy dose of nostalgic memory. Much more likely to do that than to muddle around in Advent. But we need to be forewarned. That gap is real. And those who are looking for a quick exit from the train won't be thrilled with the unwelcome intrusion of John the Baptist. He appears abruptly along the banks of the Jordan River. He's dressed in camel's hair and living on locust and honey. Clearly, this is not a man of substantial means. His message of repentance, reminiscent of the ancient prophets, invites us to examine ourselves thoroughly before we decide to lose ourselves in the celebration of the season. But unlike the prophets of old, John isn't preaching in the center of the city. His home is out in the wilderness. And strangely enough, while only two of the Gospels begin with stories about Jesus' birth, every single one of them speaks about John the Baptist. Shepherds and angels, they're nice. Wise men from the East have a place in the story. But John is essential. And so we need to pay attention to the interruption. Now, John was really clear with the people that the consequences of human sin were dire, and he was not afraid to say it. He believed in divine judgment, the necessity of repentance. He believed that the kingdom of God was just about to burst forth and that it was going to be different from everything that had come before it. He baptized the ones who responded to his message as a sign and a seal of their faith in God's future. Even the historians took account of John, remarked on his piety, his religious leadership. They even suggested that Herod had him killed 
because of the political upheaval that might result from that kind of preaching. In the minds of the people in charge, John was a very dangerous man. Now, one of the joys and one of the challenges, I guess, of engaging an ancient text like the Bible is decoding some of the symbolism. In the Gospels' narratives, John's physical location is not an accident. You see, in the ancient world, the power was concentrated in the cities. That was where business was transacted, where tribute and taxes were collected. If people wanted to get something done, they had to travel to the city. The movement always was from the margin to the center. So the movement of the people in this morning's story signals a reversal in the dynamics of power. John is announcing a kingdom that stands in contrast to the empire of Rome, a kingdom concerned with the ones who are at home and make their home on the margin. It's a threatening message, and it could stir up a lot of trouble. And so the leaders were willing to risk a trip out to the wilderness to find out what was going on. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who came, they would have known that the wilderness was of significance in Israel's history. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt, and they found freedom through the wilderness. The law was given to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. The wilderness was where idolatry, that golden calf, temporarily triumphed over faith, and a faithless generation was left to perish. With God, there's both judgment and reconciliation, and either one of those is possible in the wilderness. The story tells us there were at least two kind of people that showed up to hear John preach. But if we want to read ourselves into that story this morning, which might be a little bit of a scary thing to do, then I want to suggest there might actually be three kinds of people. They're the ones who know that they are not yet ready for the kingdom. They're the ones who believe that they already have the kingdom. And they're the curiosity seekers. The first ones, they know that they are not ready. They're searching for forgiveness, for cleansing. These are the ones who are willing to be changed. The second ones are the religious establishment people, the ones who believe that they have a guaranteed place on God's team that has followed them, if not from birth, at least from the time when they were baptized. And in a surprising turn, John calls this second bunch a brood of vipers, snakes, useless, because their lives bear no fruit. Like the others, they also need to change. 
But before any change is possible, they have to be aware of their own neediness. They have to believe that John is talking to them and not to someone else. Now about that third group. Well, we're probably the ones who are just trying to figure out what this journey to the center of the gap means for 21st century Christians who are rushing headlong into Christmas. Now, if you travel in a foreign country, you're likely to encounter people that speak with a particular but perhaps unfamiliar language. And John in the wilderness is no exception to that. He speaks with words that carry baggage for some of us. And that baggage that we bring may affect our understanding. Take repent, for instance. Does it mean being sorry for our mistakes? Is it about some kind of unworthiness or guilt? Should we be feeling some shame? Should it evoke fear when we read about a coming judgment where wheat is being separated from chaff and the chaff is being tossed into the fire? Well, for John, this repentance thing is not so much about moral worthiness as it is about God's power to transform us into the image of Christ, if we will allow it. Who we are ethically, who we are morally, that matters. It matters a great deal. But the kingdom that John announces isn't searching for all the good people. In this kingdom, the price of admission is a willingness to make a fundamental break from the past. The old is passing away. Something new is on the horizon. And an element of judgment is necessary out here in the gap, or the gap loses its significance and Christmas turns into just one more Hallmark movie. To prepare for Jesus' coming, John was doing the hard work of confronting the centers of power. The poor were suffering terribly while the wealthy didn't even notice. The world was a cruel place with too little joy, too little peace, too little love, too little patience, too little concern for the welfare of others. Repent and bear fruit worthy of repentance was not just another empty phrase. This was what God expected, laid out in no uncertain terms. In the wilderness, you see, everybody, whether they're ready or not, or just curious, discovers that we are not only cherished for who we are, but we are also responsible and we will be held accountable for what we do. This is a both-and situation, and we have a bad habit of turning it into an either-or. Well, it's a hard truth that centuries later, nothing much 
seems to have changed. Some suffer, others fail to notice. We're struggling along in the wilderness even while we're singing carols about the one who came to lead us in a different direction. And the wilderness comes in all shapes and sizes. Some are manageable if we turn in a new direction, if we begin to work together to get moving, we can have impact. And some are seemingly intractable. Ukraine and the Middle East come to mind for me this day. But when Christmas draws near, then we're invited to believe that there is still hope for our lives and for our world. John interrupts this Christmas-as-usual holiday season and reminds us of our need to allow ourselves to be changed, to remind us that we're not alone in the wilderness. John points us in the direction of the one yet to come. And who knows? If those of us who say we want to belong to Jesus agree to let our hearts be changed, I'm feeling a little bit of the Grinch here. If those of us who claim to love Jesus more than anything else decide to act in Christ-like ways all the time, not just when it suits us, if those of us who say that we want to follow Jesus, to be his disciples, to begin moving resolutely in God's direction, not in our spare time, but in all the time, making faith commitments our most important commitments, then we might find some miracles. And they could just come right in time for Christmas. Amen. Well, good morning again, friends. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Troy. I have the honor of uh, serving here as the worship arts director. Um, and I have the pleasure of leading our prayers of the people this morning. Um, Abby texted me this week and she was like, praying for y'all. Peace is a weird one this year. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I just, I just had to laugh. Um, it's a weird thing we do in church where we exist in the here and not yet all at once. Um, but I think we need to speak about and, and think about peace more than ever in a year like this. Um, so would you uh, bow your heads with me and pray? Lord, in a season where every heart should be happy and light, many of us are struggling with the heaviness of life. Burdens that steal the joy right out of our stockings. Tragedy arrives as innocent victims suffer and an inner voice whispers, be afraid. We need your peace, Jesus. Lord, in your mercy. We confess that our hearts are too often filled with wonder of a different kind wondering when the bills will be paid, wondering when the terror will stop, when the rest will come, if it will ever. Is the message still true in a world where worry not peace prevails? Stir up that good news again. This Advent, make it real in our hearts. Lord, in your mercy. 
Lord, we have pulled out the Advent wreath, the Christmas tree, the poinsettias. We have dusted off the songs unsung for a year and unearthed the words of your prophets. Yet in your eyes, these efforts are for nothing without the regular, persistent, and deep pursuit of justice for all people. Our efforts are hollow without consistent work toward peace, reconciliation, and participation in your mission for creation. Lord, in your mercy. In our hearts, we long to be your people, to carry out your mission, to be lights in the darkness, proof that no darkness can overcome your light. Awake us to action, stir us to courage. Lord, in your mercy. Rouse us to prepare a way in the wilderness for your coming, clearing the brush of oppression, racism, injustice, and hopelessness, so that all may see your light and perceive your coming. Amen. And friends, would you join me in our communal um, confessional prayer? Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And friends, I just now invite you to a moment of silent personal confession. Friends, hear the good news. Christ died for us when we were yet sinners, and that proves God's love for us. In the name of Christ, you are forgiven. Amen. And for the homework this week, sometimes I think we sell short the power of prayer. And so your homework for this week is to pray every day for peace on this earth in all of the myriad ways that we need it. To pray every day, maybe more than once a day, for peace on this earth. And now I invite you to go in peace and in the care of God who has created us, who has redeemed us, and who sustains us throughout the day and the week to come. And Mr. Ed is at the door with the clipboard as you leave to check for information. Amen and go in peace.
We hope that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to connecting with you soon. If you'd like to experience our full church services, you can find them at youtube.com slash eastsidechurchatl. And if you'd like to support the work we're doing here at Eastside, you can find our giving portal at our website, eastsideatl.org. Be well.